series. And I'm very excited to share this message with you, so I'd invite you to open up to Psalm 124 in whatever version that you have with you. And I've supplied for you on the bulletin uh, this passage in the message version. All this month, we're preaching out of the Songs of Ascents from the book of Psalms. These were the particular songs that they sung on the way up to Jerusalem for worship at the great festivals. And they are a fantastic model for Christian discipleship. They cover some of the fears, some of the problems, the dilemmas, as well as the joys and the hopes of the Christian journey. And so today we're looking at Psalm 124, and I have it here on the screen, so if you would, uh, either in your Bible or on the screen, turn your eyes to the scripture and let's read this together. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel, sing out. There's a perfect song worship leader, song leader move, right? Let's try that again, everybody. Everybody sing out. If God hadn't been for us when everyone went against us. Boy, isn't that a compelling start to a psalm. Inviting the people into reading or singing together to remember that God was with us. If he hadn't been on our side as we just sang. And the rest of the psalm continues in this way. They wrote, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild, raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free of their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. And then the people erupt in praise again. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. And all of us say, amen. It's a beautiful song and a beautiful sentiment. There's a YouTube video that I saw recently that has this title, Excavator Saves Baby Deer. It was published about a year ago. Over two million people have viewed the video. I believe it was shot on a construction site in the Pacific Northwest. It must have been terrifying to this baby black-tailed deer which was stuck in some muddy mire in the construction site, all sticky and swampy like muddy quicksand. It was growing tired from the struggle of trying to break free, clearly in a panic as it failed and flailed and slipped further into the mud. Can you imagine the deer's terror when something like a large metal dragon loomed over top of this baby deer? Descending over it, its gaping maw and metal teeth closing in. Maybe you and I have experienced terror like this, a moment of panic, being chased, being trapped, struggling to stay alive, trying not to drown, with nowhere to place your feet and get a good grip, watching a trap close around you. Needless to say, it's a great relief to all of us who may view the video later, especially if you show it to your children, uh, and to say nothing for the relief of the deer. When the large metal dragon turns out to be the bucket of an excavator, which the operator gently scoops underneath the deer without harming it. 
The deer, whether understanding the help or out of sheer exhaustion, actually lays down in the bucket. We've got a still shot of the deer. There he is, all coated in mud, hard to even see in the bucket of the excavator, laying down as the operator gently sets the deer down on dry land. The deer stands and shakes off, looks around, begins to walk off, stops and looks around again right back at the operator. And you can imagine these thoughts in its little deer mind. Free! The grip is broken! Unbelievably free! Free as a bird! How was I ever delivered? The pilgrims who wrote this psalm, number 124, knew this kind of feeling. They experienced the panic that sets in when there's no escape, no refuge, seemingly no hope. From the clues in the song, we could guess that there may have been a foreign army that was the subject of the panic. A large and imposing army, one that from a distance might look like a flood sweeping over the hills. And through the valleys, covering the roads, trampling the crops, destroying the homes in its path. The opposition party, whoever they are, whatever army they were, were like the mouth of some huge beast closing its jaws around God's people. It was the moment of their destruction. They were seeing their own death reflected in the eyes of their enemies. And then suddenly, unpredictably, unexplainably, there was a gap in the defenses. A hole in the side of the cage, a firm rock to push up out of the flood and catch a breath of sweet, life-giving air. Just when they could see only doom, the trap broke, and they were free again, flying high above the deluge, with only clear air around. The claim of the song is God helped us. We were lost until he came through. He helped us and did not forget us, and now we're safe again, flying clear in the free air above flood and beast. The song is a witness of God's help. It is a testimony to his help. The song leader begins, if God hadn't been for us, everyone join in, if God hadn't been for us. The other pilgrims join in together because the song is not a testimony to the salvation of just one person, but the entire nation, the entire congregation. They were grateful that exile in Babylon did not result in their permanent extinction. They were quite certainly in the jaws of the beast named Babylon. And as close of a thing as it was, God saved them before it was too late. The the cynic would ask, why was help needed at all? Why would God allow his allegedly chosen people to have such a close call? Is he not protecting his people? He must either not be very strong or not be very good to let them come so close to disaster like this. And the cynic is close to the truth, of course. Cynics always use truth to their advantage, omitting part of the truth to make an accusation out of what remains. The truth is that help does imply hazard. This is undeniable. God would not need to help us if we were not in danger. There is a real hazard in this song, a near-death experience, a true reason that help of the divine kind was in order. The help is simply he didn't leave. God did not leave. We thought that he would leave us in our crisis, but he did not leave. 
And so at the beckoning of the leader, the people sing out vigorously and robustly and with deep emotion, bearing witness that God helped in the time of need simply by being there, by coming alongside, by being present, being along for the ride and not leaving. If you're like me, you've probably experienced some skepticism at an emotional account of God's deliverance or maybe of some other kind of emotional story, such as the one in this song. We're so used to the overhyped and oversold, overpromised advertising of the modern world that any claim that's too hopeful or too exclusive is immediately checked, stopped, examined, and injected with a lethal dose of, of suspicion. What's more, the suspicion is probably for the better, as there's no end to the false and overreaching promises within marketing and politics and medicine and sometimes religion too. Religion too is no stranger to a message like this. I bought this new sponge. It's the greatest sponge. There's never been one like it in the history of the world. Your life will never be the same if you have a sponge like mine. Really? In this atmosphere, living in the cynic's world, it might be tempting for God's people to overreach as well, to go beyond the role of witness and attempt to explain God or defend him as if he needed human defense. This is a troubling thing because witness is the proper work of a Christian, not defending God. As Jesus' final instructions in Matthew, the Great Commission, and in the book of Acts, right before his ascension, show Jesus was not interested in creating a system of theologians, although these also contribute to the kingdom of God. He was not interested in a system of executives, although these help organize and enlarge the resources of the church. Jesus was not creating a system of pastors, although he spends more time teaching us the art of pastoring than almost anything else. No, Jesus was creating a church of witnesses, of people who would tell their stories and tell others the great news of what God has done in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the many small ways that he's come near to them and stuck with them when everything seemed to be crashing down. And of, that, of these witnesses, some would also write theology, some would administrate, and some would also pastor, but all would witness. Amen, church? And so it seems fit to say that witness is the proper work of a Christian, not apology, which is the art of explaining God's plans and God's ways, nor defense, which is the underdeveloped post on social media, or the sideways comment toward the local family agnostic at the holiday gathering. You understand here that the difference between witness and defense is one of attitude. The first, witness, is celebrative, declaring hope, and the second, defensiveness, is argumentative, declaring facts and hypotheses. Although the art of Christian apologetics the thoughtful and careful organization of evidence that supports the Bible has a place in the church's work. Truly, no one should admire Christian defensiveness, not the outsider and especially not the insider. Defensive responses about God are cheap witnesses, stripped of testimony and power. These are the comments which are often so self-satisfying 
in the short term, in an impatient Facebook post or a temperamental tweet, but that go down like a Twinkie with a Mountain Dew chaser. Only so many empty calories that feel good for a moment and ultimately fail to nourish the church, leaving it fleshy and slow, robbed of its agility and unable to adjust and move and carry the gospel witness along with it in the changing times. It can be so tempting when we're faced with cynicism and unbelief by the world to step outside of the kind of witness we're asked to give. The temptations to overreach and overexplain, to become emotionally engaged against the world instead of emotionally raising the songs of deliverance to God. The church needs to bear witness, but cynicism can be a parasite, eating away at our resolve, worming its way into our methods until we think our story isn't any longer good enough, that the story of the cross is no longer good enough, detailed enough, beautiful enough, astounding enough, or relevant enough. Cynicism questions the witness and weakens the resolve until all too often Christians forget to tell about the deliverance of God. And take 1 Peter 3.15 to mean that we're to argue on God's behalf as his holy debaters instead of fulfilling the scripture which says be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And so we give witness about the many times that it was a close call. How so many times I would have been swept away if God had not pulled me through. If the trap hadn't been broken at just the right moment. And praise be to God, he did pull us through. Amen. No, the Christian life is not divinely sanitized of trouble. At least not in the way that's commonly thought by cynics and unbelievers. In fact, there are many hazards in the Christian way, more hazards and far more dangerous than in usual life. The cynic says that it seems God should purge the Christian life of all difficulty, but it is not, as we are about to see, true. So what are these hazards and why does God allow them if we are his people? You and I know them well. The hazards of Christian life are all of the usual suspects. Disease. Yes, Christians get cancer too. Injustice. Yes, many of the great Christian witnesses of the 20th century were the black brothers and sisters who peacefully suffered injustice and patiently worked for equality and who work for it still, and those who join them. Christians are subject to war. Christians also get caught up in the affairs of nations and suffer the dangers that accompany citizenship. And like all others who serve, some come home with PTSD and prosthetic limbs or don't come home at all. Christians are not always miraculously protected. Christians, like all other people, are born and so die, love and so suffer loss, and Christians, like everyone else, will lose jobs and watch children pass away before their parents, struggle to ever have children at all, lose a lifetime of savings at the whim of the marketplace, suffer the unequal darkness of emotional depression, and give in to a great number of vices and immoralities that bring about their own penalties and consequences. No, Christians are not immune to the usual suspects. And yet Christians stubbornly and resolutely hold out for hope and hold on to love in the middle of the chaos of these usual suspects. 
What's more, as a Christian, every day, you and I navigate a series of hazards that are unique to our faith. They only exist because of God's great deliverance, because of the gifts of faith and hope and love that he gave us, hazards that are steeper and trickier to navigate precisely because I choose to trust God's ways and because I try his ways out even though they're not my natural talents or language. We put faith on the line every day. We live in a world that neither honors God nor is very interested in what he says about the good life. Every day we choose to get up and live in his reality even though we don't hear his voice audibly or touch him with our hands. Amen, church? Every day we balance the hazardous choice of living as if the divine and transcendent God really exists and has truly revealed himself to us, as if he is real and as close as you and I, even though no eye has seen him nor ear has heard him. Amen, church? Every day we balance the hazards of believing in him and speaking as if we know his values, as if we know his plans, his purposes, his intentions, and his passions. Every time I speak in his behalf or act according to my understanding of God's nature, I put my faith on the line and pray that I don't waste his time in my own by misrepresenting who he is and remaking him in my own image. Every day, we put hope on the line. Every day. We live in a world in which the future is never certain, And yet every day we choose to wake in the morning, drink the same coffee everyone else is drinking, and live with an amount of energy, vitality, and purpose that only originates in the contagious hopefulness of the resurrection. I did not know that I'll have enough saved for retirement. I don't even know if people will be able to retire 30 years from now when it's our turn. I don't know if tomorrow Kim Jong-un will launch a nuclear assault on Pacific peaceful nations sending the world into a terrible war. And if he does, I don't know how the American president will respond. I can't know if I'll arrive safely home at the end of this day, but I will cheerfully persist as if things are well in the world and say that God will accomplish his will even when it does not look like what I had hoped for, believing that nothing will separate me from his love. Amen, church. We put love on the line every day. Speaking just for myself here, there is nothing I'm worse at than loving other people. It's no surprise to me why Jesus' teachings so frequently refine and highlight and illustrate and prove the nature of true other-centered love because everything in my natural inclination is opposite of this. Everything I do on my own reeks of selfish and competitive relationships until God moves my heart and compels me to join in his way of loving. I'm skilled and trained in getting my own way, and yet I choose daily to try and trust God, who tells me to set aside those skills, and who dares me to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Amen, church. In all of this, God's help for us is that he didn't leave. Blessed be the Lord. He didn't leave us despite our weaknesses and our failings. He's chosen to come alongside us and even to walk in front of us in the incarnation. Our shepherds have been working hard to create a new way to come alongside us in the church. Those in our congregation who are in the middle of some kind of trouble. 
Our shepherds, along with the help of two of our church members, Robin Nelson and Sarah Hurd, have arranged through Four Rivers Counseling Center to provide counseling services to our members and to those referred by our ministerial staff at a rate that rivals any deal in the region. Christian counseling is a wonderful and often misunderstood resource in our community. If you've ever worked with a counselor, you know that the services they provide are completely confidential by law. The book of Proverbs also reminds us that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Jenna and I regularly use a Christian marriage therapist to work on our communication and better understand each other's expectations. There is no shame in it. And it has done amazing things for us. There have even been times and ways and places in which Christian counselors have shaped my life during incredibly troubled times. Those stories aren't all for today. But because stories are so important in witnessing about God's faithfulness, we have prepared a short video for you today. It's about four minutes long. that tells a little bit more about Four Rivers Counseling and the journey of one of our own shepherds, Gary Hofford. Enjoy. I'll be there someday I can go the distance I will find my way If I can be strong Hey everybody, this week I had a chance to sit down with Gary Halford and with some of the women from Four Rivers Counseling Center to talk about how the church and the counseling center can partner together to come alongside people in times of need. Okay. Uh, Gary, will you tell us a little bit about the time in your life when a counselor was able to come along next to you? In 1999, about uh, the first year after we arrived in Northwest Arkansas, I uh, kind of met a crossroads in my life. I was, uh, had empty nested, relocated. I was having uh, to work about 20 hours a day in a job that, that I didn't transfer here to do. And as a result, uh, I was not sleeping and not eating well. I got chemically imbalanced uh, and hit the brick wall of uh, a nervous breakdown in late 1999. And uh, it was a dark time, but uh, one of my favorite sayings is uh, life looks much clearer in the rearview mirror than it does in the windshield. And looking back on that time, uh, I know that uh, there were some things going on that needed to be addressed. And, uh, I went forward one Sunday night here at church and just I knew that prayer was the only thing that was going to help me at the time. And uh, the leadership here at church, uh, I felt such a calmness after the prayers and they directed me to a local Christian counselor that uh, quite emphatically saved me. Uh, this individual directed me to a medical doctor that put me on some medication to get my chemicals inside balanced. Uh, we spent uh, six months in counseling, addressing all the things and fears that I was going through that charted me back to a healthy me. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, uh, looking back, it was a dark time, but it was also great to have somebody there to walk alongside me to help me during that time. I know every mile will be worth when I go. You know, I think it's important for people to know that you know we are um, all dealing with something, and that we, um, I mean, everybody's struggling with something, and it's um, 
and I think it's important to, to know that there's somebody that you can talk to, that you can, you can share everything that's going on and feel safe and feel comfortable. And I think that, you know, our role is as a process facilitator to walk with you through that journey. And we all have different seasons in our life, and some of them are more, you know, difficult or challenging than others are. And so, again, it's just nice to know that there's, you know, somebody there for you. I mean, just like Christ did for, for his followers, and we do the same thing. We come alongside somebody, and we meet them where they are. Uh, no matter where that is in their walk in life, and no matter what they're going through, we just meet them where they are with, with no expectations, and um, we just like to to go along with their narrative and to, to go along with their story. And it, it is their story, and we walk through that with them, and it's an honor and a privilege and something we hold very dear to our hearts to be able to walk through that time with somebody that's so difficult uh, and to be able to, to help shed some light and help them see something that they didn't see before. What would you say to anybody who may be nervous about picking up the phone and making that call? I would just uh, say don't hesitate. There are people willing to help you. I had no idea such a service existed when this happened to me in my life. And uh, there are people that are anxiously waiting to minister and come alongside people in times of uh, stress and times of need, whether it be in their personal life or their church life or their physical life or their marriage. There are people trained to help you with those issues. And so I would encourage you, don't hesitate. And uh, it, you will be blessed by it. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Till I go the distance and my journey is complete. Would you all stand with me? Can we thank our shepherds for working in cooperation with the Counseling Center to make this opportunity possible? You can inquire more about these services. There's information in today's bulletin and also on our church blog or call the office at any time. We've also prepared uh, today through our Home Point Center a special Easter season resource. For families who may want to take this activity and plan a time in the next few weeks when you can do this with your kids. Uh, even here we have fresh cookies in the center today. So go by and pick up one of these and uh, take some initiative to do something with your family in the Easter season. As we conclude today... I want to share this thought with you and then invite you that if you need any prayers or support of the church, that we'll have our invitation in the usual way. You can come forward to the front or you can meet our shepherds in the back. But we as the church sing our songs of victory. We tell our stories like this one today in a world where things do get messy. As such, my value and yours is not established on God preventing my troubles, but by God preserving me through the trouble. Amen, church. Amen. Blessed be God for not giving us up.